The BREATHE Act proposes emptying federal detention facilities within 10 years. To what extent have you wrestled with any potential downsides of releasing into society every single person who's currently in a federal prison? Yeah, I, again, I think that everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to just release everybody. That's not That's what, what that yeah, says. but Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll hello, hello, and welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, what you just heard was Axios' Jonathan Swan interviewing uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib, and I I got to salute him for being able to keep a straight face during that interview. I like how, like, uh, whenever you hear an Australian voice asking tough questions, like, oh, Swan's at it again. Swan's at it again. Great question to ask. and And just the fact that she's like, well, you know, uh, we 100% support essentially the defund the police, let criminals run wild agenda. Incredible. I, it, what's so amazing about that interview to me is that he, he you know, he so he comes at it sort of earnestly, which I imagine is very difficult. Like, how can you straight face? So what you're saying is that you have a bill that would release every prisoner out of federal prison onto the streets tomorrow. Um, do you have any concerns about that? And it says a lot about how slimy these politicians, especially these ones on the left, are that when they're having a journalist in their face asking the question, like, oh, it's not like we're going to release everyone. He's like, actually, your bill says release everyone. She's like, uh. Well, and so then they get into this back and forth on, well, you know, it's uh, it's over 10 years. And he's like, okay, but you're talking about, like, drug traffickers, like, child sex predators yeah. like do you you want them on the streets too <laughs> and then of course she has to like sort of roll it back and i think it's just such a perfect example and you, we're seeing this a lot since like the squad got to congress where it's like you know they can say whatever they want because they don't think this shit's actually going to pass yeah and then and then nancy pelosi rolls in and, and allows him to uh -huh. do all this that's stuff. the problem yeah, it's right? like the dog who caught the mail truck that's totally. the problem totally well listen we got a big show for you today we have carol roth on the program who is a uh incredibly accomplished woman she comes at uh, the nexus of politics and the economy from a little different route she's an intriguing conversation i think you'll get a lot out of it yeah and uh, one of the people I've actually met in real life, huh. fully endorsed, should be a great interview. Ah, that's great. That's great. You meeting people in real life is always something to write home about. <laughs> uh, and I will say, as a reminder, nobody panic. This is not the Thanksgiving manual. No, no, no. That will come on Wednesday. We're going to make sure you have it. In case you know you're traveling somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you need a little hype before you actually get there. We want to make sure we release it on Wednesday, give you that manual a little bit early. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and you know, it's a pretty hype episode, but I don't remember recording it. So I think it must be extra <laughs> hype. We had a, we had a good time. We, we enjoyed some great reposado. We had some great bourbon, but I don't remember the episode. I think it was good. It could be fantastic. It could be a catastrophe. I think it was good. It well, I remember... I 
it was fantastic. Yeah, oh, it's got it, it was fantastic. fantastic. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn. I <laughs> I think the original, the one you guys recorded before I was on the show, was fantastic. I think this one was pretty good too. Yeah. So I mean, I I say that to say, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm already on the road. You know, I can't wait till tomorrow. After you listen to this, go back and 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 listen to the one from last year, and then just know, Wednesday morning. You've got another one coming. We, we should if we if we have enough new listeners or enough listeners, we should set like a number, Duncan, that we re-release the last year's because I listened to that. Yeah, it's wow, it's a banger. Yeah, it's a banger. Uh, I would have thought that was the one you didn't remember doing at all. <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't remember that one either. But like the one we recorded this year, I mean, we're I'm, talking. I'm noticing a trend. I mean, I, I mean, you remember we had we had an entire bottle of tequila disappear during the recording so that's my endorsement this was a very festive thanksgiving special you all are gonna love it they're short they're impactful and they got a lot of energy so you know look forward to that coming on wednesday in the meantime let's read some five stars should we fellas yeah let's do it um so this one is from i love this game one uh the title is thanksgiving menu change uh it says what other show can give you insightful political analysis one minute and have you laughing so hard that you are in tears the next? The best part about Ruthless is sharing it with my dad and then laughing all over again. But I have to say that Ashbrook's tangent on mom's <laughs> contribution at Thanksgiving has been a bit of an issue. After listening to the episode, my dad and I decided that mashed potatoes are off the menu. Incredible. <laughs> Keep up the great work at the program out there. If you didn't listen to last week, Ashbrook had a uh, perhaps a lactation suggestion for the mashed potatoes. I that was I, I'd say it's inappropriate. Well, maybe skip that part and don't lose your appetite. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I know, like uh, that's better than like any Budweiser commercial. Like me and my father sure listening to Ruthless. That's great. Uh, it's so Love good. It. It's so good. One one other note on the Thanksgiving uh, menu here, I I have to mention because I got a lot of DMs about it. Do you remember the the segment we did on cooking the turkeys? Yeah. And I was like, you know, the fr- the frying of the turkeys and it's about a vo- it's a volume displacement issue. That's uh-huh. why the fires start. I got a ton of DMs being like, it's also, you know, people don't fully thaw the turkey yes so public safety announcement from the ruthless variety program good point if you do end up doing the fried turkey or really any turkey make sure <laughs> you know it's fully thawed yes. you don't want to even when you brine the things you want to pat dry because you know look that's the key to the crispy skin that's another good one i don't right. know if you know that whenever i'm making chicken parm you well, got to do it. Well, you got to dab it down. That's one of the arguments against the basting and instead doing the brine, right? So that you get the extra crispy skin. It's a science, folks. Yeah, no, we're going to work really hard at it. And like we said, we want to see your contributions. You got to tag us on these things because yeah. I feel yes. like we're all yes. going to have a lot to offer. Like if you if you're if your turkey, if your spread is looking five star, Tweet that photo at us. I want to see it. Yeah. That's how I want to spend my Thanksgiving is seeing photos of folks spread. I Just love like that. fireworks, he loves seeing turkeys. <laughs> uh, Duncan, you had a uh, shout out you wanted to give. I do. Uh, I, I got a DM, um, and this shout out here is for Stephen. Uh, your buddy uh, Shaw reached out to us to let us know that you're a, a good friend of the program. Uh, and congrats on the, the new baby. We're glad everyone is happy and healthy. Um, really appreciate you listening to the variety program. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. We love hearing from all of you. That's, uh, that's terrific. Should we get in? Um, let's just start right. <laughs> let's just start hot and heavy here. 
you would have your eyes closed and be under a rock if Wisconsin wasn't on your mind over the last few days. Um, both in terms of the obvious Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and in terms of the absolute tragedy that happened in Waukesha. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it was Sunday night. Or yeah. Sunday yep. day? Sunday day. Um, and you would also be living under a rock and have no idea what's up if you didn't notice the obvious politics that have had to play with the media and how they've covered both of these situations. It's it's pretty clear how how much of our media, like the quote news sources, your CNNs, your MSNBCs, are focused on pushing narratives and not news. Um, I was seeing so many headlines. Like uh, even even if you go on the Twitter app, you click on the news tab, which shows you like what's trending. You know, usually it's a good barometer of what's happening, what's going on. And they were like, uh, car drives into crowd kills five people. And I'm like, wow, those cars, you know, just driving those into cars. people. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it it's hard to get straight. Everything has a has a bias. Let me just start with the facts here. Um, what happened was a Christmas parade, an annual Christmas parade, one of the classic Christmas parades you see all over the Midwest. Mm -hmm. They're just beautiful by every every uh, metric. They've got families out just kind of enjoying themselves, and this SUV comes plowing into the parade route and I, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos I have unfortunately and it's it's awful horrific of this of this car flying through the parade route and then ultimately into a crowd of people uh, without seemingly any application of brakes or anything else I mean it just was it was an awful thing to watch and so uh, we learn today that it was driven by a gentleman by the name of uh, Daryl Brooks, who was released on a thousand dollars bail, like I want to say two days or something before yeah, this event, like right before, right yeah. before. And um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from an article here. It says, according to court records in Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, which said in a statement released Monday that the bail had been set inappropriately low. And that's very key. That's like continue, but remember those facts. We've got the Milwaukee County DA making the decision. That's where where his initial crime had happened, or most recent rather, until this one. And uh, inappropriate low cash bail. So Brooks posted bail on November 11th in relation to charges including domestic abuse. The charges stem from a November two incident in which Brooks was accused of running over a woman with his car while she was walking through a gas station parking lot, according to the criminal complaint. Are you kidding me? Here's the, here's the quote. Yeah. Officers observed tire tracks on the left pants leg. So uh, that says a lot right there about, okay, so you have someone who has shown they have a proclivity for running folks over with cars. Within the last two weeks. Yes, and... You know what? We're going to set bail low. This is and and here's why I want to mention that because this has become a hobby horse yes. for the left where they are very much focused on like ending cash bail. Ending cash bail, right? Not to mention this guy, one of the things he's accused of is felony bail jumping. That's the other thing. I mean, you nailed it, Duncan. Like it doesn't matter what the bail would have been set at. Right. He jumps bail. So, it's important to know from the backstory of all of this that the prosecutor uh, ostensibly the person who who 
signed off on this bail is somewhat of an activist himself. That's the thing is, and and this is key. Like uh, for a long time, I've mentioned the influence that left wing dark money has on our politics, coupled with the hypocrisy of folks like you know uh, uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of being like, oh, conservatives use dark money. We saw last week reports came out that liberal billionaires spent over a billion dollars to push their agenda uh, to elect Biden. Uh, last year, and that's just what's publicly available right now, including foreign nationals like uh, uh, Hans Hans Jörg Viss, a Swiss national who also funds these left wing dark money groups. I'm constantly surprised when Smug can pull off that pronunciation. By the way, oh, it's, it's just, really good. He's very international. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, is that their focus, one of the focuses that these left wing dark money groups have had on, is our courts. So you're seeing this in years ago. They started deploying a ton of cash. To change the district attorneys, um, I that's have, right. I have a, an article here from from the LA Times uh, uh, talking about you know the left wing push to affect prosecutors and district attorneys. It said wealthy donors are spending millions of dollars to back would be prosecutors who want to reduce incarceration, crack down on police misconduct, and revamp a bail system they contend unfairly imprisons poor people before trial. Uh, that's uh, a 2018 article from the LA Times is titled "Here's Why George Soros Liberal and Comma Liberal Groups Are Spending Big to Help Decide Who's Your Next DA." This has been a push for them. You know, they got for that, years. They got that DA in San Francisco who essentially legalized well, shoplifting. Why, yeah, that's why it's looting everywhere yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah. Um. So so he was also funded by these like left wing dark money groups. And all of a sudden, folks, we're seeing the fruits of this. This is what happens. This is this is what happens. And so we did a little bit of research um, on the program, and maybe we should call it research. Yeah, that's right. It's research on the on the program <laughs> um, to look into this because it had occurred to all of us. You know, during the Trump administration, there was a large push for criminal justice reform, and look, there's some pieces of that that made some sense. What activists immediately sort of conflated all of that into was basically what Rashida Tlaib is talking about. Yeah, empty the prisons. Empty the prisons. Prison abolition is what they call it. Yeah. Right. But they know that they can't politically accomplish all of that, right? So they do what Smug was just talking about in the LA Times is that they create these groups to try to fund prosecutors who view the world the same way they, they do. This is an article from Politico in 2016. George Soros's quiet overhaul of the U.S. justice system. The subheader is, progressives have zeroed in on electing prosecutors as an avenue for criminal justice reform, and the billionaire financier is providing the cash to make it happen. An avenue. Yep. This is important to remember. Now, this doesn't mean changing the law. Nope. This doesn't mean changing federal policy because you'd actually have to have federal policymakers politically suicidal enough to try to go down this road. What this means is you go right to the source. Right. You use liberal dark money to elect prosecutors who just won't enforce the law. There it is. It's just a lawless society. There it is. And I saw some idiot the other day saying like, you know, I don't know what all this outrage is about uh, shoplifting in San Francisco. Prosecutions are way down this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, really? <laughs> Since they announced they weren't going to prosecute uh, shoplifting? No shit. Now, oh, my God. That's that's amazing. And that's, like, one thing I really want to impress on folks is the, like, big picture situation on this is how you've got these left-wing dark money groups who realize, okay, getting it through 
uh, the legislature where you have to have senators and, and, and House of Reps vote on these Looney Tune policies, that's that's very difficult to have. The Supreme Court, yeah, that's going to be tough because they're going to overthrow this stuff eventually. But like you've seen with the Biden administration, they will do lawless stuff until the Supreme Court tells them to stop. So what these left-wing dark money groups have realized is let's just go for the prosecutors. If they won't even charge these people with the crimes, then, you know, how can they be tried? How, how does any right. of this apply to them? The only place that they want to try people is in the court of public opinion. Bingo. Through the media, like Kyle Rittenhouse. And that's, and that's we're right. just going to have we're going to have criminals not go to jail. But then we're going to have the media indict people in the public sphere and decide they need to be in prison. It's ups- it's an absurd upside down world. That's a, so so um, uh, a left wing dark money group has essentially sponsored uh, a, a, a court nominee that that the Biden administration is putting forward, Dale Ho, who is essentially just an open borders amnesty for everyone activist that, hey, if you have enough left wing dark money, you can just bankroll someone into the courts. That's what they're hoping to pull off. They've nominated this person. We've seen a lot of people who have been funded by dark money in the Biden administration. This is the result of it, is you end up with folks who are let go from jail. For, he, he was he was arrested for running someone over with a car. Yeah, weeks this, ago. And, and, and they let him out, and what did he do? He ran over a ton of people with cars. He was a radical. They're, like, the social media available on him shows he was, he, I mean, this is a very disturbed, far left-wing activist and they let him out. It's it's unbelievable. It, the other thing that's that if you can get over all that, which I can't, and we'll talk more about this, but also the immediate media uh, attempt to explain what you're seeing here concerned me a lot because it was a absolute night and day comparison to what we saw with Kyle Rittenhouse. 100%. Right? So there was a lot of talk about the suspect fleeing a crime scene there was a knife fight, or they wasn't trying. He basically wasn't trying. I mean, let me to tell run you, people down was I, what the insinuation was, and there was a lot of media figures. I, I don't want to go through all of them, but there was a lot that were pushing that information out there yesterday. Yep, and and, and I know if I'm some sort of a, a, a criminal mastermind and want to escape a crime scene parade, I'm going to drive through a parade killing folks. Well, that's how I don't get noticed in Kansas. But let's let, let's let's set all that aside for a second. Like, what if that is the actual fact pattern? What The what fact remains, the guy shouldn't have been out in the first place. Yep. But they can't say that because this is their entire party. It is. Kamala Harris. But it's a little bit more, hold on, it's a little bit more sinister than just what you just said. It's sinister because in a court of law, you have to prove intent. Right. What they're trying to do is assign intent well, in a course. different way and recall what they did with Kyle Rittenhouse. All they did was assign intent. Right. This yeah. young man traveled across state lines. He brought an AR-15 with him. He was intending to do damage. It was all about intent. Right. What they did with that little piece of, of information, which was trying to reassign intent right. in this case, a case that they knew 100%. absolutely nothing no, about. Nothing about. And, and all of the reporting decontextualizes the, the alleged suspect from the crime that was committed. It was the car that went through the parade. Right. You know, not a guy behind the wheel. Not was, an activist. It was a car. A car went through. And then they op- they openly Somebody lied. did something. Like Somebody the, did something. Like the big thing they say about Kyle is like, oh, he brought a gun across state lines. That's an absolute lie. Not true. Which has been parroted over and over again. 
The gun was not brought across state lines. Not that it matters when he lived 10 minutes away. That was, that was the closest major city to him. That's where his father worked. But they keep pushing these lies when it comes to Kyle. It's wild how, like, I mean, how many folks can even name the suspect in this crime, which killed five people and injured scores, scores more, and who had many times, I mean, he had many times posted these, like, far-left right. BLM activist things about how, like, oh, police are the enemy. Right. Um, you can't, you, you know, white people are the but enemy. If this we, guy had been in a MAGA hat that went through this parade, oh, everyone in the media would, oh. say, would say, well, the Rittenhouse verdict gave them carte blanche. All these white supremacists are out there murdering people in the streets. That's what they would be sa 100%. saying. And they'd immediately assign intent and blame, and it would be Republicans' fault. That's the difference 100%. is, like, they would, they would assign domestic terrorism to that. Right. But not like, oh, you know, uh, car drove through crowd. <laughs> yeah. Car. Cars can't be a domestic terrorist, right, guys? So, it's unbelievable. So, but if you if you back off of this a little bit and and talk specifically about what Duncan was going in, into about what they're trying to do in terms of prosecuting you in the court of public opinion and using all of their reporting and the shifting language to try to indict somebody and convict somebody before they have their day in court, consider what Vice President Kamala Harris said after the Rittenhouse. Verdict. After. After. She said, quote, today's verdict speaks for itself. I've spent a majority of my career working to make our criminal justice system more equitable. It's clear there's still a lot more work to do, end quote. That's just that's just so enraging. What the hell is she talking about? So so I, I've brought this up a, a few times. When he was running for president, Joe Biden labeled Kyle as a white supremacist. Yeah. Based on zero facts, zero evidence, nothing. But that's what that's what the left is based on, is they don't need facts. They need an agenda that they have to push. They want you to hate this individual that a court of law has shown acted in self-defense. And vile intent is what they're go I go back to it again. Mm -hmm. Vile intent, right? White supremacy. That's yep. the intent. The intent is a hatred of people simply by how they look, right? And they can assign that. They just assign it without any sort of corroborating evidence whatsoever. They go so far as to once all of the corroborating evidence is considered and a jury of their peers is assembled and a full trial has taken place and an innocent, not guilty verdict is rendered, it's still, still... Yep. Not enough for the vice president of the United States. Yep. Right. And and speaking of the vice president, she's she also was like, I invite everyone to contribute to this bail fund. Yeah, she supported during the, the riots. The, the Minnesota bail fund that freed violent criminals. There's on from, record right, rapists and people and, who reoffended. Yes. People who reoffended were, were let out of, of prison because of the bail fund that Kamala Harris promoted. Yes. That is a fact. That is a fact. That is a fact, but but that is not that is not a that, miscarriage. That is not a miscarriage of justice. Nope. Kyle Rittenhouse is a miscarriage of oh, justice. Yeah. Listen to Jerry Nadler, right? This dude is the chairman of the judicial committee. I think he's a judiciary committee in this in the in the House. Absolutely disgusting congressman from New York. Yeah, I mean he's tough to look at, but that's beside the point. He's his his what he has done to this country, in terms of his rhetoric, is irredeemable in my view. Listen to what he says about about this. This heartbreaking verdict, he's talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, this heartbreaking, heartbreaking verdict is a miscarriage of justice and sets a dangerous precedent 
which justifies federal review by the DOJ. Justice cannot tolerate armed persons crossing state lines looking for trouble while people engage in their First Amendment protected protests. Are you fucking kidding me? And you saw you saw the media also try to run with this like BS narrative. Like you'd see the headlines, they'd be like, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, found not guilty after uh, shooting people at BLM protest. Yeah, there, uh, there's there's a protest and there's a riot where stuff is being burned down and this kid is being attacked. People were literally jumping on him, attacking him. Well, in and and you know, I mean, one of the, um, you know, one of these rioters that Rittenhouse shot when he was defending himself is an accused pedophile no convicted convicted, convicted. pedophile convicted pedophile who, who was just multiple let, times just let out of an asylum and yeah. I you, you you're telling me that this crazy person who's a pedophile was just there to stand up for black lives I, I and, and, you know what i mean like yep. like that's like exactly this is absurd it. and this is the revisionist history that the left does after the fact or like the cross armed people crossing state lines that's a lie too it's a, it, a complete lie. and then you've got a guy who who's got immense cloaked in immense power Right. Like this is a chairman. This is a chairman in Congress. And he wants a DOJ review of of, of what a jury decided. It's like these people who who spent four years saying Donald Trump and the rise of fascism coming to America want unprecedented state power to try to try this kid again. And just to get me. This is insane. It's absolutely insane. Just to lift the hood on that. His job as chairman principally He's oversight of the DOJ. It's incredible. It's yeah. terrifying. Everyone should everyone should pay attention to that. And that's the thing is when they can't get the verdicts that they want, what are they doing? They're the biggest fascist eroding American democracy. And that's why 100%. that's why they're like, let's just change the prosecutors. Let's right. just buy them out. Yeah, let's pack the Supreme Court. Let's do all Bingo. this shit. Bingo. They don't believe in the rule of law at all. No. They don't care. But they've made a lot of mistakes. And, I, and I'll tell you, our people are not missing the missing the ball on this. Yeah, there are people that are more engaged in local government and what's going on in their communities now than ever. You just have to stay at it because honestly, Kyle Rittenhouse got a fair trial, which is what you get in the United States of America. Yeah, if you left it up to the media and their allies in the left wing and their allies in Congress. It, this would be a every single prosecution would be a political prosecution, and right. that is what they want. That's their end game. Yeah. All right, let's lighten it up. I love, I love this next deal. I, you know, we've talked a lot about people just buying awesome stuff like T Rexes yes. and things like that. Yes. Um, did you, you guys see that Citadel's Ken Griffin just bought a first edition copy of the U.S. Constitution? I did. I did. So. What's this, the backs? Do you know anything about this? I do. So, uh, you know, a lot of the folks in, in the in the cryptocurrency community, uh, you know, this idea had been floating around about kind of like grouping together to purchase something in real life. And, and, and as much as you contribute, you help for the decision making. So there was this group um, that was like, well, uh, I think it was Sotheby's is putting forth uh, an original copy of the Constitution at an auction. So let's try to get like $40 million together and let's bid on it. And so shockingly, you know, these folks online, they got $40 million uh, pooled together. Incredible. And they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to buy the constitution today. And then uh, Ken Griffin rolls up and just buys it for $43.2 million. So so hilarious. I love it. Well, he's got a constitution. By the way, have you ever been up to Sotheby's in New York? 
I, you know, I have not. It's no. an auction house, obviously. But but I went up there and met with you know one of the guys that runs the joint years ago, and he gave me a little tour of it. Absolutely amazing. You know, you forget because you get stuck in your own world, and obviously none of us can afford forty million dollar yeah, things. Yeah. But uh, but the collections of things that they have that they're auctioning there, it's just an, it's an incredible incredible deal i mean it's and in this case it's like that uh nicholas cage movie was it Na- national treasure right like come to real life where they're like okay we can buy the constitution they had originally planned to like find a museum that was willing to house it and then ken griffin rolls up and it's like nope 43.2 million <laughs> takes it home awesome <laughs> i know ken griffin's got a bunch of people that listen to the program we'd like to take a look at that we'll we'll, we'll buy chicago I would love wherever to. you have it Wherever you have it. Always been a huge Ken Griffin fan. The dude started his fun when he was in college. Awesome guy. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. It does go to it go to uh, show, though. I mean, we've talked a lot about what would you rather buy if you had that kind of thing. And you've talked a lot about dinos. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, if I were, like, you know, Ken Griffin rich. Yeah, would, would you buy a dino or, or a constitution? Good question. Honestly, a dinosaur. I would love to have like a, that's on brand. I'd love a di- it's totally like on a T Rex fighting a Triceratops. Smug doesn't read. Yeah, <laughs> what's he gonna do with yeah. a piece of parchment? Uh, you know, again, it's kind of like the NFT thing where it's like anyone can Google Constitution, <laughs> but can you look at dinosaur bones? Like, yeah, hey, like we that's, can go downstairs in my study. I've got dinosaurs. Down that's a there. that's a good take. I like that one a lot. Uh, the other one is like you know I'm talking about real space. Mm-hmm. Real space. Would you go to real space over the dinosaur bones? So I believe we should invest in real space. I fully support Space Force. But man, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs <laughs> are something else. I want dinosaurs in the house. Okay. You know what? I Get a like- T-Rex skeleton. See, I'm going space. Yeah? I'm, go- I'm, I'm going space. I feel like if you are really that rich, like the experiential stuff, like, yeah, it's your set. You can see something that nobody else is that seeing. no one else will ever see. Here's what I would be into. like: you can see a dino in a museum. If I can walk on on, on the moon or Mars, I'd do that. That's oh, you different. want? I you would, want feet down. You yeah, want full? I would do that. Like different moon, different planet. That is that is wild. That's but like awesome. weightlessness? Uh, oh, I mean, you know, it's like okay, you, you got up there, you saw some stars, but you didn't the go thrill, near the thrill of looking back through the window and seeing planet Earth. Weightless. You're telling me dinos over that. I mean, here's it's like when you're on a plane and you're looking out the window. Oh, right. not the same <laughs> thing. It's like cool. There's stuff there, <laughs> and it's got to be real. It can't be fake space. Hundred percent. It needs to be surrounded by darkness. Space. Hundred percent. Right? It's got to be the real deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna get into Thanksgiving in a very big way uh, tomorrow, but there are some things worth observing today as you plan for your event. And there are a couple of things that caught my eye. One of them, I think this is the Today Show. It was on NBC. Was it Today Show? I don't know. It's an NBC thing, but it looks like a Today Show it thing. It does. But they're talking about, like, the costs of things, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, how much we've just... Under Biden, everything costs a ton more. Yeah, and so they're providing, helpfully providing some suggestions. Oh, which how I thoughtful. Thought, I thought was pretty revealing. <laughs> Did you catch this smug? I did. So, so on, on you see, it, uh, there was a screenshot that's put up where it says, uh, <laughs> "Consider not buying a turkey." <laughs> and then, and then the anchor was like, "Yeah." And if you don't get a, a turkey and you let people know, then fewer folks will show up to your Thanksgiving. You save even more money. <laughs> like, what? That's where we have gotten. Like, it's pretty dire. 
<laughs> Folks, like, sabotage your own Thanksgiving. Your family will love it. Yeah, everybody loves it. But they, I mean, look, the New York Times weighed in on this. And they said that partially vaccinated kids be ordered to eat quickly at the Thanksgiving, quote unquote, eat quickly at the Thanksgiving in order to protect the vaccinated I'm, people. I'm Wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. The unvaccinated were protecting the vaccinated from? Yeah. At the Thanksgiving table. It right. doesn't make Wait, sense. Wait, I thought the vaccination stopped the... It, it doesn't make sense. And they, But the kids would be the ones that had to... I mean, right. like, how... Well, uh, these people will really be like, okay, kids, like, three bites and get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, on Thanksgiving? Like, can you imagine the child's holiday? Like... Yeah, I remember Thanksgiving but when I was not a kid. My that, mom was like, have three bites and get the hell out. Because she read the New York Times. Imagine being more concerned about the health of the rest of the vaccinated adults over the children at the table, even if you're not talking about the vaccinations. And I like right. how they're like, the, the, the New York Times is like, partially vaccinated kids. They're like, my kid's only got one shot so far, so he gets only two bites at the table, and then he's got to be outside. Here's the quote, and granted it's an opinion article, but here's the quote. You could have kids wear masks, eat quickly, and stay away from the older adults while eating. I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just something else, man. People have lost their damn minds. And, and this is 100% why our Thanksgiving specials are necessary. Because yeah. imagine having these Looney Tunes. No, imagine I mean, having these Looney Tunes at your table. That's a turkey punting episode right yeah, there. Yeah, 100%. If you got one. Um Here's a distressing Thanksgiving poll. Mm -hmm. Quinnipiac poll released Monday found that 66% of adults are, quote, hoping to avoid conversations about politics at dinner. A sentiment that includes most Democrats. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> so um, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, bring up politics from the get-go. As soon as they walk in the door... I mean, you'll hear, uh, I'll save the gems for the Thanksgiving episode, but I wonder why Democrats want to avoid, because for the previous, how many years, it was, all the articles would come out and be like, how do you deal with your Trump supporting uncle at the right. Thanksgiving table? Now that's off limits. Yeah. Now I you mean, can't talk they, about they, it. They wanted to talk about politics for so long, and now they're stuck with Joe Biden, and everyone's like thinking about how like, wow, I had to pay an arm and a leg to drive up here or fly up here. Uh, we have to not even have like a, a real turkey. It might be like one of those tiny, tiny, uh, what was it? Tiny Tim Yeah, from Christmas Carol chickens <laughs> because yeah. that's all a person can afford in the Biden economy. They don't want to talk about politics. Shocking. <laughs> you should invite a tiny Tim figure hundred percent and make, and make the libs explain themselves to tiny Tim hundred percent and declare yourself the founder of the feast. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot more where this came from. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to like that episode. We may, we may not remember it, but it, I can promise you it's good. Um, all right. So another thing is talking about like what's the most popular and unpopular dishes. Yes. Like not surprisingly, turkey, most popular, mm -hmm. mashed potatoes. This is before Ashbrook's uh, insinuation. So I, I assume that's still not changed. But uh, stuffing, green beans. You know, some some families they don't do poultry; they do ham, so that's like kind of in there or whatever. Uh, so, so I like this, and I'm going to present this in the form of a question. So, so YouGov did this poll uh, with the results you just mentioned. Okay. I'm going to combine this with uh, Business Insider had an article which said the difference. Don't look, don't look, okay. don't look. Uh, with the difference between a liberal and a conservative plate, based on what 
what what the spread looks like, what they want on their plate. Okay. Duncan, you go first. What do you want on your Thanksgiving plate? Okay, so uh, first of all, obviously turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I am big on getting like one good slice of the white meat, the breast, okay. and then getting in some turkey leg. Yeah, get some leg in. You got to get some of that leg. I, I'm for that. <clears throat> so that's number one. Mm-hmm. Mashed potatoes, obviously a classic. I'm going gravy over both the mashed potatoes and the turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, we in, in my my house we make this uh, cornbread souffle. Mm, I love that, which is just fantastic. Yeah, a creamed um, corn of sort. Right, right, it's right. Just great. I think I've made it over at your house. A you couple have. Of it's times. wonderful. Uh, if if you like jalapenos. Uh, get like the raw, not pickled, raw jalapeno and throw some of that in there too. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, then a, a sweet potato casserole. Yeah. Uh, big fan of that. Um, you know, mini marshmallows and and brown sugar on top. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, and then Brussels sprouts. That's generally my plate. Gosh, you know, you're you're very similar. Well, we're Midwest. You, you've, I'm just, I'm very, very similar to that. It seems like almost all of that is it, it, the only thing you didn't mention that I will is cranberries. Yeah. I throw those in. But here's an interesting thing in my family. My mom has branched away and wanted to do like the, you know, like like a complex cranberry thing. Yeah. But like what we always resort to is she'll have one of those and then we'll just have the canned. Yeah. Right. Because they can't, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So oh, yeah. it lo- looks like a can. It's it's gelatinous. Yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. It is great. And there is nothing better than leftovers. Right. Than With cutting that, the slices yep. and then you throw a little cream cheese right. on that sucker. You, or like throw that stuff on some bread. Yeah. And throw the turkey on there. Yeah, that's right. That's what that's I'm talking it. about. That's it. And it's then the you best. can even do a little dressing on it. Oh, yeah. man. It's just I love all that. OK, so so that was helpful. So the results are in. OK. Duncan is a lib. No. <laughs> I don't believe Holmes that. is a conservative. Why? So here's why. I, I don't know, how is my plate so, lit? So here's the thing is 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 uh number one. The only green thing on my plate is a Brussels sprout. <laughs> which is which is Brussels sprouts are on the lid plate. Okay. And 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 Holmes specifically mentions cranberry sauce parentheses canned. That's conservative. <laughs> okay. Cranberry sauce parentheses prepared. That's lib. He went with the conservative choice. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's amazing. Hold on. Can I look at these now? Yeah. So okay, so so here is what uh, uh, Business Insider says is on the conservative plate. You have cornbread dressing, ham, mac and cheese, turkey parentheses smoked, croissants, green bean casserole, cranberry sauce parentheses canned, creamed corn, gravy rolls. Now, yeah. here's the liberal plate. Number one, Brussels sprouts, which Duncan was Wait, like, I love Brussels sprouts. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I feel so like my you hit everything except for the Brussels My entire sprouts. plate is conservative, but I have one green on it, and that makes me a lib. <laughs> I mean, very much. It's, it's a, a very great. prejudiced judge. It's the, Jerry, I, I, hate, it's, it's I the, thought I was bad. It's like the Green New Deal plate. <laughs> you got, right? the, you, you, got the mil- you drew the Milwaukee <laughs> DA on this one, pal. <laughs> So, so the lib plate is Brussels sprouts, cranberry sauce, parentheses, prepared, butternut squash, Caesar salad, roasted potatoes, stuffing, parentheses, in bird, cauliflower, green beans, artichokes, mashed potatoes. Wait a second. I don't even see any turkey. There isn't. It, I mean, I... Well, also, I don't I'm see... I'm looking for any meat. So There's telling, no meat. You're, you're telling me mashed potatoes aren't on the conservative plate? Man, uh, me personally, I think this is fake news. So, so mm-hmm. my plate is like uh, I'm going for turkey. I'm going for mac and cheese stuffing. I'm not, you know, 
I'll, I'll maybe have any green that's available. No, a I put it on to satisfy my wife. Right? Exactly. It's like I, got, I, throw, I throw on like a green bean or two and I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is. Yeah. But oh, mashed I potatoes, the- I mean, mashed potatoes are like the glue of the plate. Yeah, right? you gotta like, have it to, but but you can also do it with this with this uh, like a sweet potato. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, I love the sweet potato. But the sweet potato isn't com- gonna combine with other f- other savory flavors necessarily. The mashed potato, you throw that in with a Brussels sprout, put that yeah. in your mouth at the same time. Flavor explosion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I also think a lot of these things are supposed to be enjoyed the next day and leftovers. That's right. And 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 again. If you put those those cranberry cuttings with the mashed potato layer and, and a dressing layer with your turkey, oh, oh my god, it. it's so good. Here, here here's here's a poll I want to do in house. Okay, what's your Thanksgiving pie? Oh man! Mm. All right, so this year mm-hmm. my wife ordered two uh, pies. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this. You, you hit Gold Belly. Where'd you get them from? So Gold Belly, yeah, we used Gold Belly, and she got um, a cherry pie. Uh, from Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, I know exactly Tra- what you're talking yeah, about. Tra- I've had it. Traverse City. I know exactly what you're Yeah, the Cherryland Festival yeah. up there. Fantastic. If you ever get a chance to do it in the summer, it's awesome. Pure Michigan. Michigan's great. Um, and then she got not a um, pumpkin pie. It's a New York-style cheesecake I've heard about that. pumpkin pie. I've heard about that. So it's, it's richer than pumpkin pie because... I mean, this is just my opinion, but everybody says, oh, yeah, pumpkin pie Thanksgiving, and they take a tiny little slice, they have two bites, and then they're over it. Mm-hmm. I think the cheesecake variety is supposed to be just out of this world. So, I'd be willing to try that. So the gold belly thing, I, I had ordered uh, a while back a rhubarb pie from Colorado. It's amazing that you can get yeah, it's this incredible. stuff through the mail. Yeah. Um, God bless technology. No Seriously. Kidding. my I think you make such a great point about the pumpkin pie, because, I mean, pumpkin pie is okay, but man... Pumpkin cheesecake, especially from New York, will crush that. Oh, crush it. I mean, it's amazing. I feel like that's a little lip of you. I mean, a little bit. Honestly, I'm... I'm, I feel a, like I'm look, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm against I'm, this. I'm a pecan pie kind of guy. Oh. You bring that pecan pie, that's the one I'm I like pecan pie. My one argument, though, it's so, so sweet. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like not rich enough. It's just straight sugar rush. But you're, I mean, you're a candy corn guy. S- see, I'm going ham. I'm having that pecan pie with some bourbon. That's how I'm closing the oh, deal. Oh wow! That's See now, a, but that's a good parent. That's yeah. a great parent. I mean, I, oof. Yeah. I mean, you I can't. It, I think both of you have nice, nice selections. I can't argue with any of those. I go with a standard pumpkin pie because I'm a traditionalist. I like that. Right. I just this is. I don't. I don't fuck around with Thanksgiving. Like, oh, I get we, it. Look, we I watch get it. Football. These are what we make. You know, occasionally somebody wants to do something that's inventive. I'm. I'm for it if it's good food. But like, I like my standards. Um. I. But I would entertain this new pie. Oh, and and pro tip for folks, uh, the the milk milk bar uh, pie that they've made. It's like the crack pie crossover with milk pumpkin milk pie. bar, like in DC milk bar. Yeah, yeah, disappointing. Really, the pumpkin pie crack. Crack pie crossover that they made super disappointing. Well, huh. they're never going to sponsor the variety program. <laughs> no, that's the end of that. That's the end of that. All right. Well, let's play a game uh, because we just have to. Absolutely. We just got to do it. Let's play Dem or Journo. Okay. Let's do it to the song. Dem or Journo. 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 Nobody knows. I love it. It's good stuff. What do we got? Well, so for our, our new listeners, as there are there are many, um, Demergerno 
uh, I read statements. Um, there's actually five today. We usually play four. Oh, wow. There's five. There's, there's just five. A, there's a lot of takes. I want to get a little variety it's in there. It's a holiday season. <clears throat> it is. Um, so I'm going to read these five statements uh, to Holmes and to Smug, um, and there will be four uh, journalists and one Dem operative in these five statements. They have to decide which one is the Dem operative. So let's get right to it. Um, this first one is is on the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Statement number one. He was found not guilty of all charges, despite video evidence showing he killed people. Oh, my, oh my God. It's going to be a hot one. Holy oh moly. <laughs> How can people say this and have a soul? Oh, God. Okay. Statement number two. This is, again, on, on Kyle Rittenhouse. The prosecution had made the argument is that you can't provoke something and then claim it was self-defense. Maybe you can. Is that what this says? These takes are so out of control. Wow. Statement number three. This one takes a little explaining because it's off Twitter. Um, A a user says, um, does anybody believe this question mark on, on the Kyle Rittenhouse video with Tucker Carlson, where he says, you know, I actually support, you know, BLM as an idea, yada, yada, yada. Um, there was a video floated around yeah, on I Twitter. That, yeah. <clears throat> this person, uh, quote tweeted that and said, no, his views are evident based on who he's choosing to sit down with for an interview. Wow. (laughs) Basically, he's a murderer because he went on Tucker Carlson. Man, this is going to be so hard. This is. Statement number four. Joe Biden can't do much to ease gas prices. (laughs) (laughs) And this one plays off that last one. Statement number five. Oil prices are finally falling. Thank thank China and Joe Biden. <laughs> wow. I got that one sent to me. Um, so had to include it. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm turning around. I got my pick. All right. All right. Let's talk through this. I don't think that there could be a damn operative who says thank China. I think. That's like revealing too much. For I them. agree. I agree. Right. I mean, it's obvious that's their view, but they can't say they that. can't say that. You can't say that. So that's got to be a journal. Um, I love Holmes's like process of elimination here. It's, it's that great. was that's dead on. Yeah. Boy, the rest of these are so tough. They are so nutty. Let me know if you need a reread. No, I've got, I've got a nice. For, for our listeners at home, Smug has has shown me his pick. Holmes does not know his pick. Okay. I'm gonna also say number four is Gajerno. Because I I just think you can't. The ultimate sin of politics is saying something that is taking power away from your ability to do something. Yep. That's that that's why I felt that that had to be a journal because no dem wants to be like 
their their whole the basis of that party is the government controlling things can fix it all exactly yeah, but they've also spent a lot a lot of time being like inflation's actually good and you know there's nothing oh, biden uh, can do about it there's, <laughs> right. there's no doubt we've got incompetent idiots right there surrounded by biden yeah but i think that and especially the beauty of it is you know after the program for so long has been calling out what a moron biden has been with his policies he releases the like strategic petroleum reserves which just like completely conflates that argument that the president can't do anything. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, all has right. Has to be a dumbass journo. So I also say number two is a journo because it says, is that what this says? It's kind of like a, a weasel way out for a journo to say mm-hmm. like, that's what I'm saying. Or like, or yep. like many people are saying <laughs> yes. that. Like if you, for our listeners here, you, Donald Trump learned that phrase from the media. From the yes, media. Yes, he did. Yes, he many did. people so, are saying, and 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 they make fun of him for it, but really they should just hold up a mirror to themselves because it's, it, it's that it's their way of editorializing without seeming biased. It's percent. So that's a journo. So for me, it came down to one and three. One was so caustic and so ridiculous that I don't think an operative could say it. So therefore, I say number three is the operative. That's that was my reasoning for it. <laughs> That's why I guess three was. You're done. employing the Tucker Carlson rule. <laughs> I just think that that's it's so. He out was of found not guilty despite video evidence he killed people. Yeah, like that's the quote. I really yeah. think only a journal could be that dumb. There's no way. I I just they're like folks. We're we are seeing footage from Normandy where U.S. soldiers <laughs> are shooting at these people up in towers. I think this is murder. I think it's murder. <laughs> so, um, number one was in fact uh, a journal. It was from the Daily Beast. From their national reporter. My Seems right. God. Uh, number two, the is that what this means? Yeah. Uh, also a journal. That was from Lester Holt at NBC News. Mm-hmm. Good God. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were correct. Number three yes. uh, was from Adrian Elrod, former DNC spokesperson. Um, number four and number five, and this is the real reason I had to include it. The first one, why Joe Biden can't do much to ease gas prices. And then the second one, oil prices are finally falling. Thank China and Joe Biden. They were written by the same person. No. Oh, no. Man. Yeah. Julia Horowitz at CNN Business. No. Good a business reporter. God. Business reporter. A business reporter. Yeah. Oh, what? Julia Horowitz? Yes. That person should be ashamed of themselves. Isn't that great? That's the thing about being a journo is you have no shame. Oh, it's what a so treat amazing. for Demer Journo. Well, I think we just we gotta play that music one let's more do time. It. Let's do it. Demer Journo, Demer Journo, Demer Journo, Demer Journo, Demer Journo, Demer Journo, Demer Journo. Nobody knows. Mm, I love it. All right, so now we're going to go to our interview. This is Carol Roth. I want to welcome to the program a very special lady. She's a recovering investment banker, as she says, and she's author of The War on Small Business. Carol Roth. I like a very special lady. It reminds me of a very special episode of Different Strokes back in the 80s. It's like, you know, they used to have that, and we would talk about drugs, and Nancy Reagan and Mr. T would show up and stuff. So I appreciate you tying me into that. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of my formative development was with Ricky Schroeder and and Silver Spoons and things like that. So this this is perfect. It's a very special episode with a special lady. Get started. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I was saying uh, right before we started recording that I feel like I know you. I followed you on Twitter for years and years. Love your content, um, but we'd never actually met face to face. So this is this is great. I appreciate you coming. No, I, I'm very appreciative of being here. Same thing. And when you say years and years, just for clarification, we did both start our Twitter accounts when we were like 12. That's right. So I just want to frame that, that like, we're not the olds here. We just <laughs> were very early to the Twitter game. <laughs> That's right. We're not the olds. We're not the olds. But no. I, I, want, I want to talk to you a little bit about, listen, you're sort of an expert on the economy, obviously, by your background. You follow an awful lot of economic news. This year has been nothing short of horrific from every economic angle I can think of. You're, you're in the middle of this, right? You write a, wrote a book about all of this. Like just what's your take from a 50,000 foot standpoint? Where are we here at the end of 2021 economically? Yeah. So I'm going to make myself like the people's economist. Cause I feel like economist is a dirty word these days. Every, you know, quote unquote expert has gotten everything wrong when it was so abundantly clear what was going to happen. So, I mean, obviously we could go all the way back to the great recession, financial crisis and Fed intervention and low interest rates, but let's, let's just fast forward uh, right to 2020. And you had the government make this insane set of decisions where they decided like who was gonna thrive and who was gonna fight to survive based not on data or science, but entirely based on political clout and mm -hmm. connections. So, you know, if you were in the club, you made out like a bandit. And we have seen the largest, most historic transfer of wealth of all time. You had the, the first of all, uh, the small businesses, the small average guy being shut down. And so anybody who wanted to spend money, they had to spend it at these big companies. And then you had the Fed come in and just inject trillions of dollars, by the way, made up from nowhere. Like this isn't like they, you right. know, they got our money and like redistributed it even, like literally just devaluing our, our currency um, and putting trillions of dollars into the market. So if you were a big company, you not only benefited by having less competition, but now you have access to capital to compete with your competitors um, at like, you know, next to no interest rates and with infl inflation, um, you know, actually like negative real interest rates. Right. Um, and you had, you know, these, these expanding valuation multiples. So you know, we saw seven tech companies gain $3.4 trillion in value in 2020, and it be a record year for IPOs and the like. And so the, the clear thing that was going to happen when you have the Fed, you know, quote unquote, printing trillions of dollars, and you had the government, you know, stimulus, uh, trillions upon trillions of dollars, you know, that in and of itself was gonna, going to cause a lot of problems in inflation that magically nobody saw coming. It was like from nowhere, which I've been saying the whole time. Um, but on top of that, this idea that you could shut down like a third of the economy and then like flip it back on whenever you feel like right. it, like you were power cycling a modem and that that wasn't going to have an impact and you're keeping people out of the workforce wasn't going to have an impact and creating uncertainty by like not knowing if your kid was going to be able to go back to school was not going to create an impact. I mean, obviously that was going to have an issue. So on top of sort of the monetary, what you normally think of inflationary issues, um, you know, for monetary policy, 
you have the issues that were created by like trying to centrally plan uh, the economy via central planning in the government. And obviously that's created a huge mismatch supply and demand imbalance in labor. That's you know, kind of trickled down the entire supply chain and have made goods and services less available, which in turn obviously makes them more expensive. So yeah, it's like a total, like what, what's the language policy on this? Can we just call it like it is? <laughs> Yo, you can call it. Yeah, okay. So this is like a total shit show. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it, like the crazy part is just the blatant lies and or incompetence. Like well, that's the thing, right? It's like everything you just said is 100% true. And you don't have to be an economist. As you said, you don't really have to be an economist to understand when you flood the marketplace with the currency, like it's going to devalue it. But then what's so confounding from my standpoint, just from a political side, you watch this, every answer that this administration has had to these developing problems, as they're clearly evident to everyone, compounds it and makes it a thousand times worse. Yeah, so that's the thing is, is and you know, I'm a super fair person, I think, you know, this stuff all happened under Trump. So sorry, all you Trump lovers, like, He's the one that came up with 15 days to slow the spread and said, hey, why don't you shut down small businesses? Now, obviously, they didn't have to actually do that, and they didn't have to do it for longer than 15 days. But, you know, he set this in motion, and Congress, under you know, his sign-off, is the one that started you know, throwing out the, the trillions of dollars and screwed up PPP and whatever. So it 100% started under him. But when Biden came into office... It was a different set of circumstances. You know, we we'd had like, okay, enough's enough. We're gonna open back up. We have the vaccines, the magic vaccines now are rolling out. So everything's gonna be fine. Um, and so there was an opportunity for him to step in there and to go, okay, like we're gonna get this back on track. So we're gonna cut off the stimulus and we're, you know, going to like you be a, a pro-business presidency. And that's not what they did at all. They threw more stimulus money on there. They created more uncertainty. And then things like, you know, canceling oil and gas leases and shutting down pipelines, not realizing that there's a global cartel for oil. <laughs> like, you know, these basic things that affect other issues like oil and gas. Uh, and those is there prices, anything, is there, let me just pause you on that because is there anything that they have done in any sector of the economy that's helpful? No, <laughs> I mean, none, right? I, I, and I'm honestly trying to be objective about it. every single thing, whether it's energy, or tech, or it's, it's small businesses, as you have said. I mean, almost in, the workforce stuff is unbelievable. The worst, that might be the worst of all because of supply chain and everything else that you've explained here at, at the beginning. But I mean, I can't think of a single thing. No, no. I mean, everything that they've done has just taken a problem. And, I, and as I said, to be, I'm very fair. They did inherit some of these problems, but then they had the, the tools to make different sets of decisions, which they didn't. And then the things that weren't problems, then they decided to turn into problems. And so, no, there isn't anything that they've done that the only thing, okay, so so as we're talking today, um, and this is again, this is like a very small get that you're getting here, President Biden, is that they went ahead and renominated Jerome Powell for Fed chair instead of Lael Brainerd, who they nominated right. for vice chair. Now, again, Powell is an epic disaster, and this whole disaster has happened on his watch. 
That being said, as I have learned living in Chicago, when we cried about Rahm Emanuel and how bad he is, change can be worse. We got more get... light on. So like as horrendous as Powell is, like Brainerd would be worse and the, the Fed's issues are systemic. So, you know, almost anyone that you put in there is, is going to have a lot of problems at this point. In that's time. a hell of, that, that's hell like of an one economic... little crumb that I will toss in their direction. Like at least they didn't go with Brainerd as chair. So yeah, there you go. That's what they did to, to help things out. It's a hell of an economic slogan, right? We, we, really chose, we chose terrible over catastrophic. Exactly. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about, so tell me about your background. I know that you were in the investment banking business. I know, you know, that you've had an incredible career on the public circuit, but you know, where does this all come from? Where are you, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get interested in all this? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people actually don't know my background at all. And I think it's like really funny when they'll be like, well, how do you know this? Or like, why do you think that? And I'm like, oh, you're like so in the wrong realm. So my background is I grew up um, in the suburbs, the north suburbs of Chicago. Um, neither of my parents were college graduates. My dad was a career electrician who lived with his mom until he was like 36 years old so that he could save up and be able to buy a nice house, like the first like you know, generation out of poverty and was like a super proud American and was really financially savvy. And so he like took out a credit card for me to establish a credit history when I was like 10 <laughs> and co-signed on it and, and all these things to teach me financial lessons. And so, you know, I was like the kid that had, um, I think I had like six or seven piggy banks. Are you serious? <laughs> I did. I did. So I feel like I, I, could, I could walk you through the different fun ones that I had. Um, but this is like, little... but my, my mom always says that she wishes that they would have talked about something other than politics at the dinner table. Cause I could be in, <laughs> in something more lucrative than I chose, but it sounds like what you, you got was a, a financial lesson at a very early yeah. age. Did. We got we, we were very focused on that. In fact, we were not focused. I knew not. I'll, I'll throw in when I figured out politics. I knew nothing about. We never talked about politics. Nobody in my family cared. So, uh, so we were very financially oriented. I was always the kid who was like trying to hawk something in the neighborhood. Like, oh, here's this like T-shirt that I made, which is horrendous because I have no artistic skills whatsoever. But like, it didn't matter. They'd be like, oh, that's nice, Carol. Sure, here's a few bucks for that. Please go away. Um, but I was always very interested in like business and money and finance. And so um, fortunately, I was a really good student and I was in you know school in a, a good area. It, was, it wasn't like anything when my parents moved there, but just so happened that eventually a bunch of like lawyers and doctors moved into the neighborhood. So I went to a good public school and uh, ended up getting myself into Wharton undergrad, which I only knew about because some of my friends, older brothers went there. And uh, like, I'm told it's good. I'm told it's good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I said, dad, I got into this incredible school and like, he knew nothing about it. And he's like, well, it's super expensive. Like how? And I was like, well, like, wait till you hear about how much you can make when you get out. And I threw out a number and he's like, there, there's no way. And I'm like, no, like, really? And he's like, okay, well, if you're going to take on the debt, because of course, like, he wasn't going to pay for it. If you're going to take on the debt. Like, you have to make sure that you can pay that off, like, immediately, because debt, get, that's a no, a no go. And what a um, novel concept, right? What a novel yeah. concept. No, a no go. So, um, so that was the deal. So when I got to Wharton, I was like, okay, like, I'm here. I'm going to, you know, do well, like, 
what do I do? And then I learned about these two different paths that people go through. And one is for people who like to really deep dive into something, they become management consultants and they learn everything about the business. And people who have ADD become investment bankers because <laughs> you can work <laughs> on like 12 deals at a time. And I'm like, I'm clearly in that camp. Um, so I decided not having any idea what the hell an investment banker was, uh, that that was what I was going to do. And um, yeah, and then I missed my first uh, my inter first interview with the company I actually ended up working for because I was competing in a beauty pageant. <laughs> no way. Are you serious? You had that going on too? I mean, I, again, like just super randomly, like someone's like, you should do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds sure. like, well, like whatever. That thing, like, okay, sure. Oh, whatever. So I had to call this investment bank and say, I'm very sorry to miss your interview. I'm going to be in a, a beauty pageant. And the guy's like, are you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> But I really want, I really wanted to, oh, by the way, the reason I really wanted the interview, because they were based in San Francisco and I'd never been there. And I knew if I made it past the first round, I'd get a free trip to San Oh Francisco. yeah. That's as good a reason as any at that so age. This was like the motivating factors. I want the free trip to San, like, I didn't care about the job. I just want the free trip to San Francisco. And so I just kept bothering him. And like, I think it was call 17 that he was like, you are the most persistent motherfucker I've ever met. Fine. You can have an interview, go up to New York to meet with one of our people. And I'm like, that's great. I don't have any money. Can you pay for my train ticket? And he's like, fine, you know, like whatever. And I did. And I ended up like getting my free trip to San Francisco. But then I met this firm and I'm like, this is amazing. Um, so I started out in what's called corporate finance. And corporate finance, you help uh, companies raise money so that they can expand their businesses or do mergers and acquisitions. And that's how I started my career. And I just killed it. I was a, a VP and an officer of the firm by the time I was 25 years old. I, I'm very like a kind of knowledge gap person, which is why I'm so great on Twitter. Cause it's like, Oh, like what's this? I need to know this. So like, once I get into it, like I was just going to just go um, really deep, but like, I never really wanted, like, it was never like, Oh, I aspired to be this. Like, I didn't even know what an investment banker was. So you just, um, you just became one. Yeah, I just became yeah. one because <laughs> I, yeah, I became one because it was the path where you could make the most money and you could get the most experience and I could pay down my debt, which by the way, I did $40,000 in a year and a half and, um, and was, you know, went from a negative $40,000 balance sheet when I was 22 to, you know, rolling in dough and set myself up for financial flexibility so that eventually I could figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, which I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> and now here you are on Ruthless Variety Program with a bunch of people who have done various aspects of the same thing you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, so when you get out of investment banking. Okay, so you never, it's like the Hotel California. Is that you what never, it is? Never, I'm, a, I'm a recovering banker because it's always step 11. There's always someone's like, hey, I have a deal or hey, could you look at this or, could, you know, like they're and I'm sitting on boards and I'm making investments. So you never really leave, Josh. You know? I got it. OK, so but your perspective changes a little when you're not doing the day to day, right? <laughs> so the biggest wake up call about this whole thing and like this kind of goes with my transition to like media and Twitter or not is that, so I grew up in the suburb where everybody was generally really smart. And I went to an Ivy League school where everyone was generally really smart. And I worked at an investment bank where everyone was generally really smart. And then I got up past that 
And you know what? People aren't smart. And it's really freaking me out. Like still to this day, I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. Like, like if that was the biggest shock to me, I just thought everybody operated at like a certain level and they don't. And that still to this day freaks me out. How much time have you spent in DC? That'll really, that'll trouble you to your core. As little as possible. (laughs) (laughs) If this is, if you were concerned about getting out of the investment banking uh, hierarchy in terms of IQ, you've got, wait till you get a load of this. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. I do not have um, like a power thing in me. Like I'm not like, which, I mean, thank God. Cause I'd be a freak. <laughs> like I'm a, like close to a freaking nightmare as it is. If I was power hungry, it would be really ugly. So, you know, I'm not one that like understands that like thirst for power. Like I just, I don't care enough about other people to you know think that. So that like freaks me out the most that you have these like power hungry people yeah. who are so incredibly dumb and have so much expanding purview underneath them like that and that's the part that breaks me out so so back to this whole like weird trajectory so being as i said i never leave investment banking right so i decided i wanted to be on television because you know why not and that's you know that's fun and i and people told me i should be on television so Again, people say like this and I just like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's do that. Um, And during the 2012 presidency or presidential um, campaign, you know, Mitt Romney ended up getting the nomination and and going up against Obama. And he was a private equity guy. And you have to remember that this is really early on in like social media. I mean, it's like Twitter is not what it was today and whatnot. And so the networks were kind of like, well, people don't really know what private equity is. Like, you know what private equity is. Like, you talk about business things. Like, do you want to come talk about Mitt Romney and like the auto bailouts and stuff? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. So, you know, and so to be fair, like I knew private equity and auto bailout stuff, but politics and nothing. So that accidentally made me a political <laughs> and like Lord, I've learned a ton and I like I'm really confident in like what I know now, but like I had no fucking idea what the fuck I was yeah. about outside of what I actually knew. And I try to always stick to what I know. That's just kind of my thing. So when it was outside of like my uh territory, I would just defer to making jokes. And that's how I sort of, you know, became the class clown on different TV shows. So I mean, it works, right? But I mean, now that you've sort of found the intersection of politics and business, um, at, look, this is a pretty rapidly changing environment, right? I mean, the political cycles, the different leaderships, the yeah. you know, the stuff that right meets left in a lot of different ways in the populist area. I mean, what do you make out of all of it today? It's it's horrifying. I mean, the, the reality is that at this point, everything is political and everything is money. Like yeah. you can't separate that out of anything. And that's unfortunate. People should not have to live their lives trying to figure out what's going on in the political spectrum. I mean, that's like the opposite reason this entire country was founded. Yeah. And the fact that we have to make any sort of decisions, let alone financial or personal, or trying to figure out like who is going to have control of Congress and who's going to have control of the presidency. Like that's about stuff's not supposed to make any difference in my life. Um, yet here we are and seeing, you know, you know, as somebody who's an advocate for free enterprise, 
this consolidation of the economy yeah. uh, between big government, big business, big special interests, and sort of the, the roadblocks to wealth creation opportunities, which is, I take super personally. I mean, I just told you that story. You know, mm -hmm. I came from, you know, two generations back, like dirt, as dirt poor as dirt poor is. And, you know, within a very short period of time, like could not possibly believe where I am today financially. Um, and, you know, to not be able to preserve those opportunities for other people is really shitty. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I think you've got a, a perspective. It's pretty similar to my own in terms of watching what's happened over the last 10, 15 years. It, you know, it started in my view, um, and I started long before this, obviously, but with TARP and everything in, in, in 2008, um, government got much more involved in business than, yeah. than we'd ever intended, right? And as that sort of cycled out, what seems to me has happened over the last two to four years is business has become a lot more involved in politics than it ever intended to. And I'm curious about your view about, you know, as we enter sort of woke corporate culture and this, you know, you mentioned you like to talk a lot about things that you know about and try to steer away from things yeah. that you don't. Are you just astonished as I am that it's so many corporate entities weigh into just divisive political debates yeah it's i call it the boycott that cried wolf because <laughs> not like everybody's like i'm not gonna go to soul cycle and it's like you're 900 pounds you were never going to soul cycle to begin with like let's just call it like it is. like you're this was old country buffet i'll take your boycott but this is not that fight i mean you know what i mean so and I've, I've seen it, we've all seen it. The stuff cycles out of the news in 24 to 48 yeah. hours. So why would you say anything? Like, just like go away, plead the fifth, bunker down, tell your, your, your staff to have a couple days off and just like, just don't wade in. There's no benefit unless your business is something that is specifically politically tied. Like yeah. there is no upside to doing this, whether it's your staffing or your customers or whatnot. And again, just this creep of politics like into our identities, like government is not God. It's not, the politics is not a sports team. Like this is not something where like everywhere we go, we should have to be living this. And these people who want to do this, are exhausting and they're unhappy and they're soul suckers. And it's just like, just like, I don't know if go do drugs or something. Like, I don't <laughs> know what it is. Like trip, I don't care. Just leave me out of the stop with the like constant anger. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's just bad. It's just- We should just, have like a reverse war on drugs. Maybe that would help out, right? We should, we should have a, a metric fuck ton of Valium over this country. Just be like, listen, you know, if this works for you, like have at it. As long as it, you know, it doesn't infringe on my liberties. Just, you know, shut up. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. So one thing I want to tap into, because your, your expertise in a lot of ways, now that you've written this book, The War on Small, small Business, is in the small business area, right? Yeah. And having started a couple in my day, I, I can tell you, I, I can't imagine walking in flat-footed without connections to try to start a small business today. I can't imagine what it would be like, the, just the barriers to entry whether it's taxation or regulation, or even just like the stupid bullshit it takes to set up an LLC, right? Like all of that stuff, it, it's just, it, it seems like we never intended to go down this road to make it so difficult for people. 
Yeah, I mean, it's borderline abusive. And it, it really is when you talk about this whole idea of um, your competition being good and these big companies getting too big. It's like, well, what are you doing to make it easier for somebody to start a business or to hire their first employee. I mean, if you look at the landscape, you know, now we have last stats from SBA, 31.7 small million small businesses in this country. Only 6 million of those have employees. And mm -hmm. the reason is because it's such a goddamn pain in the ass to hire your first employee. I mean, there's such a huge hurdle there in terms of costs and regulations that you have to comply with. And so they really, if, if they were pro-business and pro-wealth creation and pro-economic freedom, the focus would be like, well, what can we do to make it easier for people to, to take control of their financial future and to contribute and contribute to their communities and innovate and do things that make everybody's life better? I mean, you know, this is a win for everyone, but that doesn't benefit the political class. You know, small businesses you know, aren't contributing lots of money to lobbyists or to campaigns, um, and they're super independent and they're hard to corral. So it's just easier for them to, you know, the political class to work with the 20,000 big businesses that account for about half the GDP and half the jobs. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's a, a huge punch in the face. Unfortunately, you know, like we're supposed to be the land of uh, American dream and, and all of that. So people still have that optimism and will still go ahead and start a business. And unfortunately, it's just more difficult for them. And, and you know, in many cases, they fail to succeed. Yeah, I mean, it seems like economic policy is made, at least in recent years, to, to sort of protect wealth, but to eliminate entirely the upward mobility of, of people yeah. who are, are trying to work through either small businesses or, you know, whatever, you know, everything from the first paycheck. If you have dreams of, of upper middle class life, everything about it makes it more, more difficult. Yeah. I mean, and that's the interesting thing. If you look back historically, you know, there's been a ton of mobility, you know, if you're somebody yeah. who came from a different class, like there's a really good shot that you're going to end up in a, in a different class. And really over the last several decades that that's becoming more and more difficult. And I think it's by design because again, if you get more people on the government dole, it just you know, creates more power and purview for the government. And then there's this interesting thing. Can I go like totally like left at Albuquerque here? Oh, yeah. Talk about the metaverse. <laughs> sure. Because I'm really like I'm really interested in this whole metaverse concept. I, you heard it here first. This is going to be huge and not okay. necessarily in a good way. All right. And so the question becomes that if you have these virtual worlds where people are spending into the, you know, in these virtual <laughs> worlds, like kind of like imagine Grand Theft Auto, but like, you know, for your entire life, the question is, are you going to be able as an individual or as a small business to buy in and have wealth creation opportunities in that metaverse? Or is it just going to be Facebook and Google, a handful of these big guys who are working with, sorry, Nike is our footwear partner. Sorry, Adidas is our footwear partner. And they, they hand pick these big brands and entities. And mm -hmm. so you can spend, but you can't make anything in return. I mean, think about the, like the, the huge consolidation there. And then like the governance system is like Facebook. <laughs> it's like not even the U S government. So th that's like a whole question. And then there's sort of the inequality that, 
people are supposed to be escaping from because again if you're you know having to spend in the metaverse yeah you can create a fake life for yourself that's better than what you have perhaps in the real world but the more money you have you're still going to demand something that's more unique than everybody else so i think this is going to be an epic disaster if these people aren't thoughtful about how people can participate in that wealth creation if like they try to keep this all for themselves like that's just going to exacerbate the problem even. Oh, that's so interesting. Fascinating. Well, listen, we're getting a little lesson in here, Carol. This has been good. This is good. I um I do have three big questions that I have to yes. ask you. So these are the ones that people pay attention to. Yes. They're the, very, the quote unquote important question. They're very revealing. Yeah. Much more than you think. Okay. The first one is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Okay. So this is a very difficult one for me in that I love food so much and it just kind of depends what I'm in the mood for, but just in a generic sense. So stay with me on this one. So we're going to start with a cheese fondue dinner. (laughs) So like a smoky Gouda Uh with some bread and apples and sausage. Okay. Then if you didn't have enough cream or dairy, we're going to have a uh, chipotle cream corn. Okay. Jalapenos and a Gruyere crust over the top because got got to throw more cheese in there. <laughs> then we're gonna have some gelato, probably with some Mrs. Richardson's butterscotch caramel fudge and sprinkles on top of it. And then to top it all off, we're going to go to one of those candy places that have all the bins, and we're gonna do like a bin. We're gonna raid all the bins and stick our hands in and have all different candies. <laughs> and I'm gonna stick and roll on the floor and then I'm going to die. I was just going to say, you will be very sick and appropriate for death at that yeah. point. <laughs> that was a great answer. Well but thought out. Not, not, and, not that I've given any thought to this before. Many courses all. Well, and the, the, you know, the worst part about it is too, is like, you know, you end up old in a nursing home and you get like jello or something. It's just oh, yeah. Like you had all these big plans and you go out with freaking jello. So. Well, you just got to line this up, keep it yeah. in the cabinet somewhere so somebody can serve it up if things go yeah, south. That's a good point. <laughs> all right. So second question is if you never got into this, anything that we've just discussed, if you never got into this part of your life, what do you, what you had total carte blanche to be anything? What, what would it be? So, what I always wanted to be, what I still want to be, if anyone out there can make this happen, is I want to be a game show host. Oh, yeah. You'd be a, a great really game Really great game show. I don't want to do anything smart. Everyone's like, oh, Jeopardy. I was like, oh, that's smart. I don't want to be a smart game show host. That, uh-uh. That's like my real life. I want to give cash and prizes away to people who are excited and who are going to jump up and down or like Family Feud where I can make fun of the innuendos and ridiculous things. Yes. Yes. So one of those two formats, but I would like to be a game show host. With with fucks and shits available to it too, right? We can't go like I mean, network provisions. I, I've been on TV for like 12 or 13 years at this point. I, in a, you know, in an environment where I don't have to, or I can, I'm not allowed to, like I can hold it. I've been very- you, Okay. It's, yeah. I'm just saying it would be more entertaining if it wasn't, but- I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to that either. <laughs> all right. All right. So you're, you're, we'll have all of our listeners in that line of work. Yes. Carol, Carol is available. <laughs> and, and, to, and by the way, talented, I have, I have a hosting reel, so I can show you. Oh, a real, yeah. uh, this is great. Okay. All right. So, so here's, here's the third question. Okay. This one, this one digs deep. It's about what goes to motivate you. Okay. And my theory is that you're either th- motivated by the thrill of victory, which is like the glass half full charging up the hill, always smiling kind of person, 
or the agony of defeat, which is like the, the Michael Jordan character, like any defeat they've ever faced in their lives hurt them so badly that they, and everybody experiences defeat, right? But it hurt them so badly that they're motivated entirely on not replicating the experience. All right, Jess, this is a great question. And as you can tell, I'm not really great at following instructions. So it, I will say it depends on whether it's an internal or external factor. If it's internal motivation, internally, I'm more uh, motivated by achievements. Like I like to go out and do things and conquer yeah. things. So if it's coming from me, it's going to be positive. However, if it's external, if it's like, oh, you go girl versus you can't do that. I'm a hundred percent motivated by you can't. <laughs> so if you're going to tell me I can't do it, then that's more motivating. But if it's internal, then it's positive. So it's this weird, like cognitive, like dissonance thing, depending on it. Now I look, it resonates deeply. And now I think yeah. we have a pretty good roadmap as to how you became who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and next it'll be a game show host. So we love exactly. it. Listen, Carol, this has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. We'd love to keep in touch and do this more in the future. That would be super fun. And uh, thanks for letting me play. You got it. See ya. I think she's delightful. Um, the funny thing is, is that I, 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 she's not all politics, right? And she's certainly not like a partisan Republican by any stretch of the imagination. She's she just kind of observes the world around her. But if you look at her Twitter account, like she's increasingly based. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that came out, right? Well, and she, she has a good personality for the Variety program. Well, that's what that's what became out yeah. throughout is that she's a good fit here. If she's in town, she should do a ride along with us sometime. That'd be great. 100% for that. So uh, ahead of our Thanksgiving specials, I got to say, banger of an episode, gentlemen. Outstanding work. Uh, and thanks again to all our listeners. Our numbers keep growing, and you are so very much appreciated. So, uh, until Wednesday, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Wednesday. Stay ruthless.